Hello, and welcome back to the Deeper Call podcast. I am your host, Ashley Neese. In this episode, I'm excited to be joined by Zabi Yamasaki, a widely renowned trauma-informed yoga teacher and well-being educator. Zabi is also the author of several books, including the children's book, Your Joy is Beautiful, as well as her trauma-informed yoga affirmation deck. I have been engaged with Zabi's work for years, and she was one of the first people I contacted to invite to the podcast. I knew that we could navigate a nurturing and restorative conversation that centers survivorship, honoring our capacities, and kindness. I knew that our time together would be a connected exploration of what it feels like to resonate with a fellow teacher, writer, and mother who is as deeply committed to her own healing as she is the healing of the collective. Throughout our time together, I could feel my nervous system dropping deeper and deeper into safety, into rest. Zabi reminded me in several different moments that in order to travel to the depths that I long to travel and to do the work that I am here to do, it is essential for me to do less. The way she shares about doing less as a pathway to work ethically and sustainably really resonates with me. Zabi and I share in-depth about the healing of being seen, of being witnessed by each other, and how moments of healing can come in the simplest of ways. Lying on the grass, sitting on the couch with your child or loved one, setting boundaries, playing, laughing. Healing doesn't always have to be painful or hard. As Zabi says, there is so much healing that can happen in moments of relief. Zabi is incredibly generous in how she offers her work to her students and trainees, as well as how she models what self-care and rest can look like to her son. She embodies her ethos of tending to her own needs or pouring into herself so that she can show up with as much presence, compassion, and strength to do the work she is called to do in the world. Zabi offers up so much embodied wisdom in our conversation, and I cannot wait to dive in together. Please join us as we explore the multifaceted ways we care for ourselves in our lifelong healing processes and how that healing ripples out to our children, our parents, and our friends. With gratitude, Ashley. Welcome, Zabi, to The Deeper Call. I am so just delighted to be in conversation with you today. I have been following your work, reading your books, using the deck with myself and my kids for the last couple of years, and I'm just so excited to be in this conversation. Thank you for saying yes. Thank you, Ashley. It is such an honor to be in your presence and to be in community with you. I'm such a huge fan of your work and your books. And I love all of your musings on all things ease and spaciousness and motherhood. So it just feels like two kindred souls that get to be in this space together today. So thank you for that. Yeah, I feel that too, especially listening to another podcast. I was like, oh yeah, we have so much connection there, which is so beautiful. I would love to begin with something that I've seen you write about on Instagram. I've also heard you speak about it. This idea of preventative self-care versus putting out fires, <laughs> which I'm, I'm familiar with both, especially the latter. But I'd love to just hear a little bit about how you are practicing preventative self-care in this season of your life and kind of what that's looking like for you right now? Mm, I love that we're starting with this question because it's just something that feels so deeply present for me in all aspects of my life. Lately, I have been thinking about sort of this intersection between nervous system capacity and its intersection with preventative self-care. and. You know, I'm someone who has become very familiar with navigating survival mode. And that programmed me for sort of always waiting for the next shoe to drop, the next fire to put out, the next 
life event that would just completely deflate me. And I got really comfortable. I sort of set up camp there for a really long time. And a big part of sort of honoring my nervous system capacity is knowing that in order to do my work ethically and sustainably is that I have to actually do less. I have to be very intentional with the way that I map out my schedule every single week. I have to be intentional with taking things off of my plate. And the way that I've seen that sort of make shifts for me is that it's become a daily care practice. You know, I used to get really overwhelmed and then I would spend all this time being like, I have to cancel that and I have to reschedule that and I'm so overwhelmed. And, you know, it it got really tiring to always live my life from that place. And, you know, I look at preventative self-care as creating sort of buffers and margins in my day and space between things, but also sort of loading up on that care, even if seasons aren't particularly busy. You know what I mean? Because none of us are immune from the next storm or that next fire that we have to put out or that next health crisis that might arise, or especially in the throes of motherhood, there's always something that comes up, you know, whether our child is sick or there's big feelings to navigate. And you know, I, I started to feel guilty because when those things did happen, I had no space to tend to them. You know, it was always, I think that's the sneaky part about burnout is it starts to accumulate and accumulate and accumulate. And until we start to live our life in radically different ways and start to make those smaller changes to create that more space, we're always sort of living from that place of depletion. And then when my son really needs me or, you know, my husband had a a health crisis last year with cancer and it was just, you know, always felt like I was responding and not from a place of fullness, you know, always from a place of depletion. And so I'm really in this season where I don't always get it right, but I'm so much more attuned to creating those buffers for myself. And it's amazing just the shifts that it's made for me. Oh, there's so many things in what you shared and I'm really feeling into that kind of distinction you make between showing up and kind of reacting and responding with depletion versus fullness and how creating those buffers and those margins give you, gives you the opportunity to have more spaciousness and fullness to respond to whatever the thing that comes next. And I relate to that on so many levels. And especially now that we have three kids under five at home, it's like just with the kids alone, there's always something going on. And that's just one area, right? There's always other things going on. On like in our family life and you know the world at large and the community, the systemic layers, like there's just so many layers all the time. And I also really relate to that place of overwhelm and and just it's like for me, the way that shows up in my body, it's either like I get so overwhelmed, I start to kind of disassociate, or I start to kind of push harder and go faster. And that just, like you said, that always leads me to either my back going out or being sick or something always happens. It's like another message from the universe in my body that's like, okay, the message here is spaciousness, not like trying to cram more stuff in, even though that's, you know, how I was raised there. It was always like, just do the next thing, do the next thing, like don't stop, like just keep running basically. So I'm just appreciating everything that you shared in that. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. When we don't have models of rest, growing up, it makes it incredibly challenging to do it in our adult life, you know, and as a daughter of immigrants, I learned from a young age, you know, you just work harder and be better. And, you know, especially as a woman of color, I feel like I've had so much pressure on myself, not just external, but also a lot of self-induced that if I just do the most, you know, I'm going to achieve whatever this this thing that we envision, right? We think we need to keep 
climbing or doing more, or we write a book and then we think we need to do the next thing, you know, and sometimes there's a lot of beauty in just being content right where we are. And I noticed that, you know, so much of my own mothering and my own example, that's also becoming embodied for my son. When he sees me resting on the couch in the middle of, you know, the work week, not just on the weekends, like when he starts to see me integrating these little moments of rest or, oh, you know what, mom's going to go do a yoga class in her office right now, but I'll be right back with you, honey, in in about an hour. You know, he's seeing me make those intentional choices and celebrate those choices with my own body. My hope is that as he continues to grow, he sees how critical that is, you know, that that's just as important, if not more important than him achieving at school and doing all the things and being enrolled in all the activities. You know, I really want him to see that balance and I want to be a model of rest for him. It's something I think about a lot. It's something I think about a lot as well. And I love what you shared and even thinking about you and your son, it reminded me of my own son, especially my oldest one. When I'm taking a rest, he will just come sometimes and cuddle up with me on the couch or we'll go outside and just take a little walk or just do something that's you know restorative together. And I'm appreciating that reminder of how much it is about modeling. And there's something that's coming up in what you're sharing too. And it was something that I wanted to talk with you about. It's like the words that are coming through are like, how do we learn to kind of embody our inherent value? And that feels so connected to kind of placing value and priority on these pieces that you're sharing about, like really that self-care and that slowing down and that rest. How do you get comfortable with this practice of learning to embody your inherent value? You know, I think working in this field, you know, as a trauma-informed educator and yoga instructor and trainer, I primarily work in a field that is dominated by white male researchers. And so I spent a lot of my career, I mean, I've been doing this work for over 13 years now, and especially in the earliest stages of my career, I just felt like I had to do the most all of the time, that if I could just prove my worthiness through my accolades, through my achievements, through my ability to lead three trainings in one week. You know, I mean, I was putting myself and and measuring myself up against these completely unrealistic standards and expectations in an attempt for what, you know, I know my value. I know my enoughness. I know that my gifts are inherent and that I bring a different approach to the work and a different level of softness and sensitivity that is so important, you know, especially as we think about healing from trauma, we know that it's not going to be, we can't put it in a box or give people a checklist and there's not going to be a one size fits all approach practitioner for every single person who has experienced trauma in this life. And, you know, I think as I come back to your question about how do we embody our inherent value, I think so much of it is trusting in the gifts that already reside inside. And when I would, you know, and I still do this anytime that I am preparing for a big training that I'm giving or a keynote that I'm presenting. Um, you know, years ago, I would memorize what I was going to say and I would be prepared for any single question that someone was going to ask me. And I think that was tied back to, I have to be perfect. And that's how I prove my worth by never missing a beat. And I think maybe there's something about motherhood too, because there's just not as much time, uh, as not, a, not as much capacity to be able to prepare for things the way I used to. But also I think a big piece of it is just that embodied wisdom. You know, I don't have to manufacture this work. I don't have to manufacture my answers. I can trust in just the knowledge that comes from deep lived experience of survivorship, of you know, 
Nikki Myers, who is just an, an incredible teacher who does a lot of work in yoga for recovery, she says, there's no hierarchy in healing. And I love that reminder because I don't, I don't have all the answers. I don't want to be put on any sort of pedestal. I want to be in the throes of healing and the messiness of it with you and to really honor our body's responses and honor what's showing up and figure it out together, you know? And I think that's the beauty of tending to our innate value and embodying our self-worth is it's, you know, it's a lifelong journey and we don't have to do it in isolation. Really what's what I was feeling from you as you were talking to was this piece of the relational field, right? And how important that field is for the healing. At least that's been my experience, just how important it is to be felt, to be seen, to be witnessed, to be heard. And that happens like through you, through me, through this like connection that we have. And so often it's like, I think it's Peter Levine. He says something to the effect of essentially like trauma is what hasn't been witnessed, right? What hasn't been witnessed. And it's like, oh, and when you just made me think of that as you were talking, I was like, yeah, there's something in that witnessing and the way that we show up and witness is through this piece that you're um, so beautifully talking about is like that embodiment piece and not just knowing like, Hey, I can prepare as much as I can prepare. I'll just use myself as the example because I'm right here. But even for this podcast, I mean, I had so much coming into this project. And, you know, my partner this whole time has just been like, Hey, you don't have to prove yourself. Hey, you don't have to explain like those parts of you that want to prove and that part of you that wants to explain and the part of you that like wants to just like show everyone how smart you are and all these things. He's like, just tend to those parts. You know, just give those parts a lot of love because you, you've earned your seat. You know, <laughs> there's nothing that else you need to do to like prove that you're valuable and that you have something to say and that the people that you're interested in, it's like basically treat them the same way that you would treat yourself or treat yourself the same way that you would treat them. And it's like, of course, I don't, you know, when I'm talking to you, I'm not thinking all these things, but then when it turned on myself, it's so different. And I'm just really appreciating like how much. Um, softness and how much gentleness and how much spaciousness you're offering, even as you're talking about these things, because I can feel my system settle and relax and go, oh, yeah, it's like we're two humans here having this conversation and connecting and it's so beautiful. It doesn't, I don't have to like prove myself in this exact moment. And isn't that a relief, especially for all the years that I felt like that was so necessary. Mm, I love that. And what an incredible partner to mirror that for you. You know, sometimes we need, it's so funny. My partner, he, he's got a great sense of humor and I'm like the very serious one. And his version of that is one time I was practicing a keynote in front of the mirror <laughs> and I didn't know that he was listening or he was holding our dog and he was just kind of peering <laughs> inside our bedroom and I was in very serious mode trying to, you know, articulate these points of the keynote. And he's just standing there with our dog, like holding the dog, watching me. And then he comes in and he's like, babe, it's fine. You just be a jazz musician. You've got the, you know, he, he brings so much levity to what are very serious topics that uh, I'm always talking about. And he's such a reminder to me that especially when we're talking about healing, that our grip can be so tight sometimes. And that's completely valid because sometimes the grip comes from our desire to want to have some semblance of control. You know, if I can just show up in this space in this really perfect way, then that's me having a little bit more control in my healing process. And there's a lot of, you know, you can't see me right now, but I'm, I'm, you know, have my fist closed. But when we really create that opening for ourselves and that space to just not grip so tightly, you know, sometimes the healing lies in the laughter in, in the coffee with a friend where we're so present and so witnessed and so seen or, in 
a moment where we're lying on the floor with our child and nothing else matters at all in that moment. You know, like sometimes we think healing needs to be this thing that we're always working towards or striving towards when there's so much healing that's happening in those moments of relief or pause or laughter or fun or pleasure or joy, you know, where we may not even see them as healing because they're so subtle, but they're just so integral. They are so integral. And I think that really speaks to, at least for me, a lot of the way I kind of came up in all this work was, especially when I, in the beginning, when I got involved with breath work and was really looking for this kind of peak experience, right? I was like, I want the kind of sober version of ayahuasca. I want the thing that's going to like, like kind of just push me into like massive catharsis. And that's when I'm healing. I'm having this big moment and I'm like screaming and yelling into a pillow and doing all these things. And it it wasn't until I got into trauma work, that I was like, oh, okay, there's like another way to do this that I don't necessarily, not that there's anything wrong with any of the things that I suggested or said, scream if you need to scream. But I remember being in a training and, um, you know, the instruction was like, okay, instead of like actually doing the scream, just like get yourself kind of close your eyes and kind of imagine yourself screaming. And as you imagine yourself screaming, like notice what happens in your body and like check in with that like initial impulse you have to scream. And that like those moments there, I just felt that so clearly when you had your hand closed and you're like, okay, what if we open? It's like, that was such an opening for me. Cause instead of just like blowing past and like getting right to like the big, like oh, moment of screaming, it was like, wait, what are the other things that are happening right before that, that need my attention? And how can I give those things attention? And then it, then things totally changed for me. I was like, oh, oh, there's this whole other world in here in my body that I am totally not conscious of that is I'm getting all these signals and all this information all day. And like that one like exercise in the training was so, prof- it was just such a profound shift in my experience of healing, my experience of like how my system orients towards change and in change, like you mentioned in the beginning, that's like actually sustainable and like reparative and restorative. Yes. Oh, that is so beautiful. I think, you know, Ashley, I think we get, really used to overriding the cues of our nervous system. And we may have this tendency to just keep pushing and keep overriding. And then, you know, we talked about that, that can lead to illness or injury. And I was in acupuncture the other day and my beautiful acupuncturist was talking about how, you know, when, She's like, when you notice sort of a somatic pain in your body, you have a stomach ache or all of a sudden you have a migraine. She's like, can you try to kind of go back a few steps and see what happened before that manifested? You know, did you open up your email inbox and read a really activating or triggering email or Were you feeling self-doubt about something that happened earlier in the day? Or did you have an an interaction with a loved one where there was tension? You know, just, you know, it seems so simple, but it's actually really profound when we can start to build that somatic and nuanced relationship with our bodies of, wow, yeah, I, I did read that email and it made me incredibly anxious. And then I had a really debilitating stomach ache, you know, and that's for me where a lot of my anxiety tends to manifest in my gut. So I just think that the more sort of attuned it takes time and, and compassion and patience, but the more we can start to befriend our nervous systems and really start to attune to these various physiological symptoms and, and really not see them in the eyes of with shame or through that lens, you know, but more that everything is information and these are our body's ways of responding to keep us protected, to keep us safe, to give us information that help us center our needs. You know, I think so much of this restorative dialogue in the trauma healing world is is really starting to shift the way that we have typically looked at trauma symptoms or coping strategies, you know, and, and look at them with a little more kindness and grace and, 
And I continue to be on that journey myself, even as I'm teaching it. (laughs) I'm feeling so much, just so much compassion in what you're saying and so much you had mentioned before, kindness was the word that you used, just so much kindness and compassion. And it's reminding me, I'll never forget, like the first time, this was years ago, I had just started my somatic therapy journey. And I was in a previous relationship for a couple of years, and we started seeing a therapist. And then I had mentioned something from my history that my partner at the time didn't know, because I was like, it's not important for him to know, I've already healed that it's done. And this therapist just like a little bit wide eyed was like, oh, it's actually not done. Um, I'm going to point you in the direction of a somatic therapist, which is how I started this journey into trauma healing. And, and she was like, you should like just go have a session with her and see. And it just <laughs> obviously the rest is history in some ways. But so, so many things came from that moment, A, that I didn't, it just didn't even occur to me to tell him about this experience that I had because I had really thought I'd just it was so kind of repressed and so compartmentalized. And so I was so disconnected from it on purpose. And I remember when I got into the trauma work and my therapist was just, it was like the way she would look at me and it's like, it's like her precision with like when she would kind of say something, but it was more, it was like the way she would look at me in her presence and her attunement. But I I remember sharing something and she just looked at me and she was like, "Mm, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And it's just like, I'm, I'm going to like, get teary now thinking about that. It's just, that was, it was so profound. It was so profound because it wasn't about her being like, here's what you need to do to fix yourself. Here's 10 books you need to read. Here's like all this stuff. It was just literally her saying, Hey, I'm so sorry that happened. It was like, almost like I'd been like holding my breath for so many years waiting for somebody to say something like that to me. But in, but in some ways I didn't even know I needed it, if that makes sense. Oh, Yes everything that you are saying makes so much sense. And it's, it's just, as you said that too, I felt, you know, just something within my own body feels so comforted by that because I think at the end of the day, we're all sort of longing for that sense of being seen, of feeling like, wow, it's okay to feel exactly how I feel that I don't need to be fixed or, you know, go into all the interventions that it's okay to just create space for what's coming up for me right now in this moment. And I think there's so few places in this life where we can just show up just as we are without the armor, without the need to kind of have all that, those protective responses that we can just be in the messiness of healing together. I think, you know, that really does create a sense of safety and belongingness. And in the world of, you know, like, just do these five tips to heal your vagus nerve and just... (laughs) You know, social media is a whole, there's a whole wild, wild west out there in terms of just the quick fixes. I swear I see five videos a day on, on these tips and I'm just, you know, then I'm, I start doing them. I'm like rubbing my earlobe and tending to my temples. And I'm like, okay, Zavi, what are you doing? Let's just, let's just remember that there's, there's not going to be a quick fix in this journey that we can just be with this difficult emotion without feeling the need to immediately find a solution. You know what I mean? Because so much of the healing, at least for me, is allowing my grief to be where it is, you know, allowing space for it. In fact, you know, recently I was sharing on social media just about I'm sort of in this season of trying to get pregnant again. And it's been, it's been really challenging. And I was open about, you know, I I had a miscarriage in December and, you know, I was open about the fact that, you know, sometimes I'll wait to share things until they're more tidy or more complete whatever that means, you know, but I was like, we're all worthy of support right here in the middle. And I, I am in the middle, you know, I don't know if another child is in the cards for me, but I'm in this really vulnerable space of looking at fertility options and looking at, you know, this deep longing for another child and the grief of not knowing 
what's in store for us. And I think, you know, you'll, you'll see the pregnancy announcement or you'll see that I think we all wait, right. Until we can get to that point of completion, but oftentimes we need support right when we're in the middle of it. And just the amount of messages that people sent me of the comments were, I mean, I was just bawling. It was so restorative just to know that I wasn't alone and that other people were in this limbo place as well and wanted support or wanted to be seen in that way. And it, and it felt less scary in sharing, you know, cause I'm like, this is something I'm longing for. And I'm just putting it out there, even knowing that there may not be we may not reach that point and and then I'll I'll be in that space but yeah I just wanted to kind of bring that into this space because it's hard to be vulnerable but then it it also opens up the door for connection which I think is something we're all seeking yes I'm definitely seeking that and I just first just want to say thank you for sharing that with me and for us and for everyone who's listening it's it's really potent and just beautiful to hear your process and your own willingness to kind of tend to yourself by, hey, I'm in the middle. This is what's going on for me right now. And this is these are the unknowns that I'm sitting with. And to be the way that you share about just being met and received in that is so incredible. And it just it feels like its own restorative practice and its own healing. Hi, Ashley here. If you're looking for more ways to deepen your practice and continue the conversation, I invite you to join our amazing community over on Substack. Every Sunday, I share a free newsletter centered around themes of transformation, writing, remembrance, embodiment, nature, creativity, and rest. The newsletter is completely free and something I love pouring my heart into each week. It's also a great way to connect with other listeners in the community in the comment section. There is also a paid portion where subscribers get access to seasonal restful writing workshops, occasional freeform essays and audio shares, and other fun surprises throughout the year. You can find a link to subscribe to the Deeper Call Substack in the show notes below. I appreciate your presence, and I hope to see you in there. Now, let's get back to the conversation. It's touching to hear your willingness to be vulnerable. And like you said, there's like a part that there's like a little like, oh, it's like a little wobbly or a little bit scary. But then there's the connection there that like, that's what's coming through. I just, I feel that so strongly. And it's so interesting too, Ashley, because I think it really speaks a lot to the container that you create and just in your own presence and your ability to help me feel that safety because I had no idea that I was going to share that or not even an an intention to bring that into the space, but it just felt, you know, you've really created the space for me to feel like I could share that. And, you know, it's so interesting too, Ashley, I know we're covering a lot of territory, but the day that I sort of shared that that morning as well. My son is five. He's going to be six in October. And I've been writing him post-it notes, like little notes and putting them in his on his lunchbox when he's been at summer camp. And he goes that morning, he goes, mommy, I really love when you write me notes and put them in my lunch. I'm like, oh, okay, bud. Well, I'll keep doing it, you know? And then I went into his room and I realized that he's been collecting all the post-it notes from the summer that I've put in his lunch and sleeping next to them. And I, (laughs) my mama heart was so, you know, just the way that we can like swing from one pendulum to the next in terms of all the the things that we can feel even within one day or one hour or even just a couple minutes. You know, I was in one moment thinking about this other child that I'm longing for. And then the next moment feeling this just beautiful moment of joy and 
beauty in my son who's literally just moved by these little notes. I mean, I'm literally drawing like a sun picture of a sun and I love you, my sunshine boy. You know, they're so quick and yet they're so meaningful to him and he's five, you know, and just... I think that that's also the beauty of healing, right? It it allows us to hold the complexity of many different emotions at the same time. Mm, yes. Yeah, that just really <laughs> just went like all the way down into my bedline. Like that, that resonated. <laughs> and that's so powerful. And I feel like it really just connects into everything that we've been talking about and, and, and into all the work that you do and the work that you're sharing both personally and on a professional level with your trainings and writing and everything. It's like, I think it's like when I think back these moments of being, you know, a kid or being a teenager where everything felt like my feelings have always been big. I've always had lots of big feelings, but just to feel like the depths of just so much sadness or it's like, you know, everything was like either like so intense or like really high. It was just, it was intense either in either direction. Right? Like, Ooh, everything's great. Or like, Oh my God. I'm like, <laughs> So, um, just upset and sad and grieving and, but it was like, there was not a lot of nuance. There wasn't a lot of space in my system for complexity. And it was just, it was like, I could only kind of manage one thing at a time because that's what, what my nervous system was capable of. And, um, I just really connect to what you're sharing about this work and this journey has given me the capacity to have more spaciousness, even in my own system so that I can navigate a day where it's like, oh, I'm having this intense grief and now I'm having this intense pleasure and this joy and then there's something else. And it's like to also just be able to trust in that things are shifting and moving and that the feeling that I'm having in this exact moment like isn't always going to be here even though like so many of those experiences that I have are really connected to like younger aspects of myself. It's like I know when I'm, I start getting in, into a state of like I'm always going to feel like this. I'm like, okay, Ashley, how old are you right now? Like, what do you need? Because that's definitely like a little, little one, uh, many little ones, but it's always a little one. And then to be yes. able to say, Oh, I, I see you little one. Okay. Like, let me tend to you. And if I can't in that moment, it's like, I see you. I'm going to get back. I'm going to circle back with you at the end of the day. Cause I just don't have like the time right now, but I am going to come back to you. And then I can come back to her and integrate what I need to integrate so that then I can go, Oh, in my like, you know, present time adult self, like there's so much more capacity than sometimes I think I even realize. And it's, and it's also so connected to what you've been speaking about so beautifully too, is the rest, right? And the spaciousness and the saying no, because that's actually what gives me more capacity. And like, it's almost a strange thing. It's like the more I do that work and take care of myself and restore, the more capacity I have, which it seems like it wouldn't be the case, but it is. Absolutely. And I, I loved that example that you gave of the containment being like, okay, okay, little one, you know, little Ashley, I, I don't have it in me right now, but I'm going to come back to this. You know, that is so, so profound to be able to create the space to just put it in this little this little box for now. And then we're going to come back when I have more spaciousness and when I have more capacity, because that is a radical act in and of itself. When sometimes we jump right into things and addressing big feelings before we really have the space to do so. And I love, you know, thinking about that first question that we started with of just, you know, I think preventative, preventative self-care, one of the one of the reasons it brings so much medicine is because we're being intentional with doing the work before we've reached our point of beyond capacity. You know, we know what that place <laughs> feels like because we've spent a lot of our life there. And to now in this age and in this season and amid the throes of motherhood to be making these intentional choices around our care it's really profound. You know, it's not something to, I know it, it's so funny because my dad, he's, um, you know, I daughter of immigrants. My dad owned his own pharmacy for 30 years. He never, he only had Sundays off. He worked so hard and now he sees me doing what I do. And he's just like, 
He's like, what's a sabbatical? He's like, you get, you could, you just take a few months off and don't do it. He's like, what do you mean you don't do anything? I'm like, dad, it's not that I don't do anything. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just (laughs) pouring into myself. You know, I'm constantly trying to explain to him that my, my work requires so much, you know, the, the amount of output that I'm constantly pouring into, whether it's holding healing spaces or trainings or writing resources, it's constant. And without taking that time for me to just could literally, people are like, what do you do? I'm like, nothing. <laughs> I could lay in the grass and stare at the clouds. Like, like literally, you know, I think it's so easy to be like, I, well, I'm going to read a book or I'm going to, you know, we want to just jump into the doing, even if it seems like it would be something that's restorative. But I think there's also just a lot of power in learning how to just be. It, that That's definitely a constant practice for me and, and something I'm teaching my dad too. You know, that feels really healing to remind him, you know, you, you, you're retired now and you get to just enjoy your grandkids and go on day trips with mom and, you know, things that he's even discovering about himself now that he's only now in his almost eighties, you know, has this space to actually tend to. So feels like a lot of generational healing that's happening, even with me starting to model rest for him. <laughs> I was just thinking that as you were talking, I was like, oh, this is intergenerational, like just deep intergenerational healing and work. And it is going forwards and backwards. And like, I talk about that a lot in my own personal work, just looking at what I'm passing, like what I'm choosing consciously to pass forward and the ways that I'm trying to heal. And then also, even if my parents aren't necessarily doing all the things that I'm doing, it's like even just one small shift is like healing backwards and how beautiful that your dad is so curious and like open to that. Like that's just, I love hearing that because it also just really reminds me like it's, it's as much as I can think like, oh, I'm, I might be too old for this or they're too old or, you know, there's, it's never too late. You know, I was talking with Lama Rod Owens and he was talking about this too. It's like, it's never too late. And we don't know. It's like, there have been times when I look back, it's like, I could have done this earlier. I could have done X at that time, maybe, you know, and maybe there was somebody who was showing up in my life that was like, Hey, there's another way over here. And I was like, I see you and I'm not ready. You know what I mean? It's like, we're ready when we're ready. (laughs) There are probably lots of those people showing up at different times in my life. And I was like, not interested or not available, or I couldn't even see it, right? It's like, I couldn't see it until hindsight. And then I'm like, oh, wait, I was getting that message all the way back then. And that's okay. I wasn't ready for it. I'm ready for it now. Um, so I love hearing that about your your dad and just your relationship with him. And that just hearing you talk about that, I'm hearing so much um, just generosity, just really generosity in that, in that connection. It's really beautiful. And it's it's really bringing, bringing me to this other thread that I wanted to weave in that we've touched on, but I'd love to touch on it more explicitly. You know, this notion of really giving ourselves permission to take our time, which I feel like ties in so beautifully with what you were just saying. It's like when we do have those moments, it's like, are we rushing to fill them? Like, let me read one more. I know we, we, we both write books and we want everyone to read the books for sure. And also <laughs> it's like maybe lay on the grass, right? Maybe just stare at the sky for a minute. Maybe just like, you know, there's other things too that can be just so deeply healing and nourishing. And so I'd love to talk about that in connection with that permission to just give ourselves like time. Mm. Yes. It's actually making me think of. I'm just going to read this to you because it feels just such a nice time to bring this into the space. One of my favorite quotes by Ty Sky, and they say, in a world that glamorizes big breakthroughs, the truth is, is that most of the healing work actually lies in the small, slow, tedious, digestible process of showing up for ourselves over and over and over again. 
keep going. And I just think that that really ties back to what we've been talking about in so many ways. You know, even some of the the powerful shifts or healing moments that you and I have experienced, none of it happened overnight. You know, it was all a process of continuing to show up even amid the grief, even amid the big feelings, even when everything else was falling apart with whatever strength that we could muster, just continuing to show up and continuing to kind of see how things unfold. And I think there's just such a beautiful reminder that, you know, in a world that wants us to you know, have a big breakthrough or swing so far to the other side of the pendulum and just, okay, I'm fully healed. You know, we're, we're always in it. We're always, there are days where I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. So this is, this is what's showing up today. And let me just be with this. And I know I want to come back to your question, which was sounded like, correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like it was about some of the more tangible aspects, maybe. Oh, that's it's beautiful. I've heard you speak about this before, which was one of the reasons I brought it up because I loved hearing you talk about this, but just this notion of giving ourselves permission to take our time. And, you know, we talked about that. Also, that's part of the preventative self-care for sure. It's really looking at like, okay, how can I kind of buffer out my week and look at these, maybe these big projects or these meetings or whatever it is, even like this beautiful afternoon with my family, like, what do I need to be taking care of myself, you know, ahead of time, like looking ahead at the week. And I've heard you talk about that in terms of portioning, you know, it's like, what am I portioning out throughout the week? You know, like, that's such a beautiful practice. But then it's like, when you were talking about this, essentially, you were saying like, you were giving yourself so much permission to cancel on something. If you were like, you know what, I'm actually already here on Monday. This is like where I'm at with my energy. And on Thursday, I've got this thing that I really want to do, but I need to reschedule it. And then maybe I've got this little thing on Friday that actually I just don't have the capacity for this week. So I'm going to have to just say no to that. And when I heard you speak about that, like my whole nervous system was just like, whoa, Zabi is giving herself so much permission to just like have spaciousness and to just take her time. And there's you know, and this really weaves in that other piece that we were talking about too, that self-trust. It's like you trust yourself enough and you trust your nervous system enough through all the practice that you've done to know that like you can make those kinds of choices. And I just thought this is a message that so many of us need to hear, myself included, over and over. Just that permission to change, you know, and depending on where our energy is and what we need in a moment. Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, and you described the the practice of portioning so well. And, you know, just for the readers, I'll kind of, or for the listeners, I'll kind of reinforce how that looks for me every week. You know, I think sometimes people will look at all the things that I'm doing and they're like, how's she doing all of that? Or is she even practicing all these things that she's talking about? But one of the reasons I can, you know, write books or lead these trainings is because I actually say no a lot. You know, there are, and it, and it took time, right? I, and coming back to that question, that earlier question on value, right? It's, it's also valuing my worth around, around money, you know, not being afraid to say, actually, my fee is this when it's a large institution, for example, that's reaching out to me to do a keynote or providing consultation that does have the resources. You know, it's being really intentional with, I'm not going to accept the bare minimum anymore. I know that I've done the work to not, I, I shouldn't have shame around asking um, my worth when it comes to money. And so I, it even feels uncomfortable saying that on the podcast, but I think more people need to, we need conversations like this because there's not, we don't have a lot of communities that are openly talking about that. And for me, it's, it's really, you know, on Sundays, I will check in with my energy levels. And this is a somatic practice on portioning that I learned from a colleague, Joe Buick. And essentially it's taking stock, right? Where are my energy levels right now? What kind of week 
did I just have? Am I feeling depleted or am I feeling full? And let me use that as information in terms of what my body is communicating to me about what kind of energy am I bringing into this week? And if I take a look at my week and I know I've got a large training on Monday, I have a big event for my son's school. I'm doing a lot of individual sessions. I have an event on Friday. You know, I am unapologetic (laughs) about being like, okay, I know that months ago when we scheduled this, I thought that I was going to have a little more space, but I know that I can't show up as my full self. And, you know, I always think about Maya Angelou's words too. She says, your energy introduces you before you even speak. Mm, Yes. Your energy introduces you before you even speak. And I'm telling you, Ashley, I have carried her words with me into so many aspects of my life, whether that's through parenting, whether that's through leading trauma healing workshops. I know that so much of this work is the more that I can tend to and model and mirror that sort of nervous system regulation that that is one of the most powerful tools that I can model for those that I'm holding space for. And if I am showing up into these spaces from a very frenetic or burnt out place, that really starts to impact my ability to create safety for other people. And so my hope too is that it also inspires those who, whatever work that you're doing in the world, do you know that you are worthy of looking at your life more holistically and not just conti- I know we all have, you know, we, we have jobs that we have to show up for. We don't get a day off from parenting. You know, there, there's only so much that we can do, but sometimes I think we feel, we feel completely helpless, but there's a lot of power in those embodied shifts that we can make. It might be something as simple as, you know what? I, I know that I was going to go grocery shopping today or I know that I was going to run all these errands, I don't have it in me today. I'm not going to make that extra stop, or I'm not even going to take this thing out of my car today. It's going to just sit in the car for another day. You know, I'm, I'm talking about like very small shifts, you know, and then we could look at other things. Maybe I need to set a boundary with this person, or maybe I'm going to put my phone on do not disturb starting at 7 p.m. You know, we just started doing this thing with my partner and my son. We just call it family time. So very simple, you know, where when he gets home, we all have our phones on do not disturb. And we literally just, you know, sit on the couch together and ask each other questions. And my son has just started loving it so much. He gets like five different blankets and creates the coziest space on the couch where, you know, and he's seeing us be present with one another where we're not, you know, rushing from uh, summer camp and into the bath and straight into dinner and then let's get dressed into bed, you know, where we start to replicate that rushing even in our parenting. And I think for me, I just started to notice I don't, I don't want to be rushed all the time. In fact, I've, I've never been somebody that's done well with being rushed. And the more that I have set that intention for ease, it's allowed me to even look at those little things that have been depleting my energy. And in fact, that's actually the topic of my next book, um, uh, which sounds true. It's called Protect Your Energy, Embodiment Practices to Nurture Your Nervous System. And clearly I'm passionate about this topic because I've been talking for a really long time, but I'm going to, you know, delve even more into it in the book. (laughs) I can't wait for the book. I'm so excited. And I just, I love what you're talking about and the examples that you gave too. They're so relatable. I'm thinking of this moment. I think it was about two years ago. We'd been about, we'd been living out of the city we live in and the Sierra is like way out in the country. And We've been living out here for probably about a year. And in the summers, we go to the river. We hang out in the river. It's this beautiful Merced River. It flows from Yosemite all the way down through our town. And it's like something that's like seemingly relaxing, like just getting the like, 
you know, towels together and the sunscreen and packing a lunch and hopping in the car and like driving to the river to relax with nature all day. It's like, it's amazing how much my history can make that like stressful for me, you know, and for my family. And I just had this moment where it was just that rushing. It was like, okay, it's Sunday at 7 a.m. Like, let's go. Let's get the Yeti. Let's get the ice pack. It was just, and I remember again, my partner, he's so wonderful. <laughs> it's like he like puts his hand and we're finally like in the car, like driving there. And I'm still like, my body is just still buzzing, you know? And I'm like, okay, we gotta go. We gotta get a great spot. And he's like, no one's here, babe. No one's here. I'm like, there's literally nobody out but us. And I'm like, okay, we gotta just go and do this and that. And it's like, he puts his hand on my shoulder and he's just like, and it's every time. And I'm so oriented to that it's like you just that gentle hand on a shoulder like right at the top of my back that always is just like it's like an immediate kind of exhale it's like oh right and then I had some time to process it's like why am I always rushing especially around and this is what was so interesting that came out of that work for me I, I could see how much I was rushing through a transition it's like anytime there was a transition my nervous system would speed up and it was like anxiety stress like we got to just blow through this as quick as possible and, you know, one thing I've, one tool that I've learned since becoming a parent that has been so helpful for our kids is to just like name the sequence of what's happening and just to be like, okay, after breakfast, we're going to brush teeth. And then after that, we're going to like go to their front door and then we're going to get put our shoes on. And just even like naming all the things starts to slow my system down. And then it was, it was this moment of going, oh, I can turn that around on myself you go, hey, Ashley, okay, we're going to go to the river. Here's the plan. Here's what we need to do to get everything organized and get to the front door. And then all of a sudden, it was just, it changed so much for me because I could reparent myself in that moment and go, okay, I know what's happening. I'm okay. My family is okay. We're just going to go have this really like amazing time. But it was, I just appreciate that you kind of brought that example into so much like reality. It's like, here's a real moment of just like rushing around the house. And it's like, but wait, why am I rushing? What part of me is rushing right now? And what does that part need to go? Oh, right. You're safe right now. Like you're safe right now. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing bad's happening. There's nothing that has to get done. That's so urgent. Actually, what we're trying to do is just, you know, this other thing, like get the kids in the bath or go to the river or whatever it is, leave for work in the morning. And I also just love that you shared about the routine and the rhythm and the ritual that you and your family are getting into in the evenings. And it's just, it reminds me of, it's like, sometimes I think there's these parts of me that think it's, it's goes back to what I was mentioning before. It's like, it's gotta be big. If it's not like the most epic, like we're going to hang out and just lock eyes for one hour straight and like nothing else is going to happen. And like, that's what we're going to do, you know? And it's like, whoa, that's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of intensity. Like maybe we just sit on the couch for five minutes and just like connect with each other. And like, how much more doable is that? How much more like fun is that for me? And also just like having that connection, like it doesn't have to be like, I still have these, you know, parts that are like, it's all or nothing. It's going to be so big. And, and it's appreciating what you're sharing because it's reminding me and giving me so much permission to go, Oh, right. Like here's a micro moment. Here's five minutes where we can just like all attune and slow down together and kind of, be in that like family nervous system, like yumminess. And then, you know, transition to the next, you know, whatever the next thing is. Oh, I love that so much. Just that, that permission to take the pressure off of ourselves. You know, it's like, I, it reminds me too, when I'm, when I'm training yoga teachers or healing professionals, sometimes I'm reminding them, you know, that the routines and the the structure, the consistency, the predictability, all of that really supports someone who's struggling with a dysregulated nervous system. And I remind yoga teachers who are learning to teach from a trauma-informed lens, sometimes they get so caught up and the sequence has to be perfect and I need to say all these things so I don't cause any harm. And I need to just, you know, they their grip is so tight. And I'm like, there's actually a lot of beauty in tending to your own nervous system, showing up into the space to create that safe experience of co-regulation and to 
focus on on just the the repetition and the predictability even if you did the same sequence every week that would be amazing you know it's more about your presence and this compassionate and loving container that you're creating that's what people are going to remember they're not going to remember the warrior 2 to the star pose to the you know what like i i just think it it helps us kind of go back into the simplicity of things that Sometimes we just make things so hard and, and we do, we put that pressure on ourselves that it has to be the all or nothing. Or if I, you know, I need to do the full hour workout as opposed to just the five minutes of breathing, that that's enough too. I I have noticed that theme just throughout our, our time together, just that taking the pressure off, just how powerful that can be and, and honoring the simplicity of those small moments of being in flow together. And I'm listening to him, just reminded Alex L has this quote where she says, like, healing is a practice, right? And that is, I feel like that's could even be the kind of summary of our conversation in some ways. It's like, that is its own practice. And so what does practice mean? It means for me, something that I'm like devoted to, something that I am continually showing up for, something that isn't just, I do it once and then I'm healed. It's just this process and this continual you know, deepening and looking in and feeling and all the things that we've been discussing. So that's, yeah, I just wanted to name that because that was just coming up right now. And I think it's a really beautiful way to kind of encapsulate all the layers and all the places that we've gone in our conversation. One thing that I mentioned to you before that I would love to do is I have your deck right here, the trauma-informed yoga affirmation card deck. I highly recommend it. It is so incredible. And what's so fun, our son Solomon, who will be five in October, I have this deck in the living rooms on our shelf with extra crystals and some other things. It's like a little mini altar. And he'll just go and pick the deck up and he'll go through the cards and he'll pick one. And then our, our youngest, Zen, who's 19 months, will come and like look at the cards and like watch Solomon and like get on the mat with him. And it's like, it's, it's that beauty too that you were talking about. It's like, they might just look at one card and that's what they do. And how incredible is that? You know, how incredible is that? Wow. So I'm going to take a minute right now and just kind of close my eyes and shuffle this a little bit. And then I'll choose one for, for all of us. Hmm. All right, I'll read, read what it says on this side. I am innately whole. I draw strength from my resilience. I am innately whole. I draw strength from my resilience. Mm. Mm. That feels like that was meant to be. (laughs) It really feels like it was meant to be. That's that's how this deck always is. Um, It's always just right on right on time as we move towards transitioning is there anything else that you want to share or have known here sabi before we wrap up oh no ashley i i feel so nourished and and moved by our conversation and just the the layers that we uncovered together and just how natural it felt you know i i feel like in many ways we were embodying what we were talking about as we were talking about it, you know, that we didn't need to have a list of questions or topics to talk about that we could just be in it together and let, let it all unfold. And it was just such a, such an honor to be with you. I, I, um, yeah, I'm just really moved by our time together and so grateful that you invited me to be here. Thank you. You're so welcome. It was such a nourishing conversation and yeah, just a real like body to body, like pleasure, just being with you in this space and just really feeling your presence. And yeah, I'm just so, so grateful. So thank you so much. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you for sharing your time with me today and listening to The Deeper Call. If you enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate it if you would subscribe and leave a five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening from. If you know someone who could benefit from this episode, please pass it along. Your support 
and presence is so appreciated. In closing, I invite you to take three deep, grounding breaths with me. Inhale. Exhale. Inhale. Exhale. Last one. Inhale. Exhale. Thanks again for being here. With care and gratitude, your host, Ashley. Ashley.